Today's weekend birder guest is joining us from Cairns on the land of the Udinji people. I would like to pay my respect to elders past and present and thank them for allowing people to birdwatch on this spectacular country. Welcome to Weekend Birder, I'm Kirsty Costa. In this episode, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Golo Maurer. He is the Citizen Science Program Leader at BirdLife Australia. Golo's love of wild birds began at the age of 13, whilst growing up in the Black Forest in Germany. His interest in birdwatching led him to work in a nature reserve at the Lake of Constance, which is at the edge of the Alps. I first got interested very classically, I guess, through school. We had a teacher that was really enthusiastic and um, excited about birds. And there's one thing that um, I always strangely would have for Australia as well. But I, I grew up in Germany and it's a much smaller country than Australia. So you had like one bird clock that works for the whole of the country, which is in the spring chorus. You sort of set the time by when the birds start to sing. So some people might have noticed that in Australia, the kookaburras are often first birds you hear. So in, in Germany, that was the, the black red start sort of is the first one to sing at two in the morning and just listening to, to that and working through that and, and finding patterns in nature was really really excited and my parents have supported me all the way along as well which is great and, and they, they were big into dragging the kids around Europe in the camper van and you know that was obviously fantastic because you see all these new birds and new habitats you also learn a lot about how people in other places are just as excited as you about the birds and and that's a that's a great experience to have so it grew and it's probably um also an interesting experience in that for a lot of uh, for, for me at least it was sort of the first time that someone outside my bigger family anyhow sort of recognized me as as someone who knew something by going out with the with the old professor so and so and um, <laughs> those sorts of people who go bird watching and, and they're actually sort of listen to what I had to say and I mean now I'm in my uh, in my late 40s I realized it's because they probably didn't hear or see a thing so <laughs> they were happy for anyone young to come along and show them things but for me that was a really rewarding experience as well so it's just a fantastic way to connect with people I guess I always jokingly say you know if you go to a party it's us and the medical doctors that you say I'm a bird watcher and always someone has a story that they want to share with you or that they want to tell you about so that's really exciting and, and I'd rather hear about people's little brown birds than about their ingrown toenails or whatever it might be so i think as a, as a birder you've got a really good position there <laughs> i love it golo's interest in wild birds has led to a 20-year career in ecology ornithology and conservation he's contributed to bird research on six continents and has also taught in universities more recently golo's work at bird life australia has involved facilitating community science programs which involve people in a range of conservation projects as part of this work, he's helped to review and republish BirdLife's ethical birdwatching guidelines. This isn't the first time that we've had ethical birding guidelines in, in BirdLife, but compared to the version of 10 years ago, we've now basically, as a, as a beginning birder, you've got your ID app on your phone with the option to playback the bird calls. Everyone can buy these amazing torches you know, that come with a sticker <laughs> that you might be burning your eyes out when you use them, that, that sort of stuff. So it's gotten a lot easier with the technology to have the, the tools that help you build watching. But as with any tools, you know, they can they can cut both ways. And that's sort of been really a, a reason for us to say we need to, to be a bit more clear and uh, acknowledge that that's there and go into the detail. 
There are lots of things that we can do to look after our wild bird mates and not stress them out. Previous weekend birder guests have talked about avoiding the use of callback, that is, playing the call of a bird on your phone in order to identify it or to lure it closer to your location. Golo says that this continues to be a big ethical discussion in the birdwatching world. My first inclination would be to say, consider whether we really want to do it, because my personal experience is that the, the high you're getting from actually being able to track that bird down and see it and identify it, that rush of excitement that I've got this call, I suspected it was this and I got it right, that's what really burns it on your brain that you can remember <laughs> that bird call next time you hear it versus taking the shortcut and saying, okay, well, I'll play this back and get the bird in. You know, I record the bird as it sings, I play that back. You'll get your bird identified probably, but you're not getting the joy and you're not getting the learning. So that, that would be my first advice, really thinking about that from what you want to get out of out of the bird watching. What could happen in a normal bird's life is, you know, they've got their territory, another bird floats in, they do a couple of songs, they realize, oops, someone's already there, this place is taken, they move on. So that's what, what a bird expects and that's what they sort of can deal with and chances are that a lot of other people know about that location as well and do exactly the same thing and so it really compounds that and there's a, a fair amount of anecdotal evidence of especially around owls and, and other species that are nocturnal and, and that they actually vanish from a site either they don't call or they, they actually move on from the site that's been you know the famous stakeout for owls in you know in the Kruger National Park or whatever at this campground so and happens in Australia as well so that's really an Another consideration there. Another way to be an ethical bird watcher is to stick to the paths and avoid going onto private property. People might get a bit excited about a, a rare bird that's somewhere and they, they might yeah. lean a bit far over the fence. There's a lot of damage that can be done in that process, not only to the individual bird, but also to the relationship that we might try to build as Bird Life Australia with that particular property owner to actually look after the place for the species. So you end up doing a lot more damage than you do to the individual bird. So there's there's definitely that consideration. We are pretty distinctive bunch bird watchers, you know, with, with binoculars. I mean, there's really only two options, what you can be when you're running around in the bush with binoculars. And bird watcher is the, is the better option there. But even with that, you know, you get identified as one of them. You're holding up the standards for you and your fellow birders. And that's worth a consideration as well. Other recommendations from BirdLife include avoiding lingering around nests or feeding or drinking sites and remembering to take your litter with you. Caring for country is pretty straightforward, but sometimes we need a little reminder, especially in moments when we're really excited or distracted by the birds around us. Making a decision to let a life a go, even though you know it's there and you, you could just turn on the playback to get it in or you could just stomp through the bush and, and scare it off. That's that's a difficult decision, but it's it's the right decision to make. There's probably the, the birders karma there, right? <laughs> You've got you let one go, you make that decision and you get another rewarding observation another time. Well that's how I like to think about it anyhow. If if that helps you to, to um, follow through with the right decision, then I think that's a good a good lead. If you're not down with the birdwatching lingo, a lifer is a bird that you've never seen before. It's a bird that you could add to your life list. As a beginner birdwatcher, I've been learning how to describe where I've seen a rare bird without giving away its exact location. It's a fine balance between reporting a bird, but not attracting large amounts of birdwatchers to its location, especially if there's a nest. So that's something for you to think about. Like Nicholas in our last episode, Golo's ability to listen closely to bird calls has helped him become a better and more ethical birdwatcher. 
some funny that it's called bird watching in the first place. I guess I spoke about it at the beginning, how this, this bird clock fascinated me. And living in a very lucky part of the country, I can lie in bed in the morning and wait until I've heard 10 different bird species before I get up. I think bird watching is really um, a term for the activity I do and much many of us do that that falls short. It's not just the watching, it's really the, the listening and the hearing as well. And I think the beauty of that is because it's not our primary sense, but it is the soundtrack of our lives. And you're sort of listening to that. And the more aware you get of that, the more you enjoy that it's there and that it's happening. So the listening and then I guess the tool that goes with this is that the, the fact that you now you know, have it on an app. Yeah, I remember the times when you had to go on the tapes or you had to count the numbers on the on the records to get to the bird song of, of a certain species. Now you can just go in there and go on your app and listen to it and, and really learn that song. So that's a it's a really great tool to have. But just close your eyes and, and listen to, to the soundscape and listen what comes out. And you can hear a lot further than you can see. A lot of birds want to be heard as well. So they're telling you a story. They're telling, they're telling something about what stage the landscape is in because everyone's singing or you know there's all these migrants migrants coming through and calling so there's there's really so much you can gain from focusing on the on the hearing part of being an ethical bird watcher is also sharing your knowledge and love for birds you can go back and listen to episode 18 to hear some tips from dr jen martin about how to communicate about science and bird watching you can also collect citizen science data which contributes to decisions and actions for bird conservation birdlife has a platform called bird data which you can access on your phone or on their website you can complete standardized surveys or record lovely bird watching surprises that you think other people should know about that's really a way to actually give back to the birds and help them persist and you know, help bird life conserve them. So yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky in the position that I'm working in that we look at data that people have collected 50 years ago and someone was out there collecting this, possibly thinking that in 50 years time this might be really useful. And it is. <laughs> that is really just um, amazing. So you can do that even as a beginner. It's not that you have to do 10 years of, of training and sit a very complicated test. You can start this right now, put in what you rec- can recommend recognize and don't put in what you have to make up <laughs> but yeah so you can you can really contribute important data to conservation and science i'll put a link to the bird data website in the episode notes along with where you can find the ethical bird watching guidelines many thanks to golo for taking the time out of his busy schedule to talk to us i really admire his commitment to involving community in bird conservation projects that have a positive impact Pop into weekendbirder.com anytime to read transcripts or develop your birdwatching knowledge. You can also find us on your favourite social media platforms. <laughs>